Welcome to the Numbers People podcast, in partnership with HPR Consulting, a leading Sydney executive finance recruitment firm. I'm your host, Richard Holmes. Emma Brown is a high energy and resourceful executive who enjoys inspiring others to push the boundaries of what is possible to deliver exceptional commercial results. With over 10 years leadership experience, she has managed broad remits, including finance, people and culture, commercial strategy, legal, risk and compliance, customer insights and IT functions. Starting her journey within the big four in the UK and Australia, she has forged a successful fast-track career in high-growth PE and ASX-listed companies and has also gained valuable experience in the not-for-profit space. Emma was awarded the UN Women NCA MBA Scholarship in recognition of her work in creating career opportunities for women and improving gender diversity through policy and flexibility. She was also selected as a finalist for the 2020 Telstra Business Women's Award. Emma, good to see you. How are you? And you. Thanks, Richard. Good to see you today. Excellent. Um, I've known Emma for a while now and uh, seen her progress through her career, and I think she's got a really interesting and brilliant story. Would you like to tell us more? Yeah, sure. So, um, hi, everyone. I'm Emma. I uh, started my career journey at uh, KPMG in the UK. Um, I had aspirations to come to Australia from sort of an early age. I went backpacking when I was 18, uh, stayed with a friend in Coogee Beach and I fell in love with it and thought, right, I need to go home and get a career which is going to allow me to come back to Sydney. Um, And so that's where becoming an accountant came from, really. Um, So, yeah, I trained with KPMG in the UK. I did my ACA, which is the uh, equivalent to the Australian CA. And once I was qualified, I came over here uh, and joined BDO. And the reason for that was they were actually quite actively recruiting accountants from the UK at that time. Um, And it just seemed like a really great cultural fit. There were a lot of us expats joining at that time. So I was able to, you know, make a little family of of other people doing the same things in their lives. I really enjoyed working there. I worked on some sort of medium size to large size clients in Sydney, um, a really diverse range of industries. And I was able to learn a lot about... um, about different businesses and how they operated. So I was was in the audit division, which isn't, you know, the sexiest one to be in, um, but it does give you that really good broad base in terms of um, learning about different businesses. So I got, I guess I got to the uh, assistant manager level and I sort of reassessed my career and I thought, you know, am I going to aspire to be an audit partner or am I going to do something different? And I wasn't quite sure. And so I decided to actually join EY in their audit practice just to give the big four in Sydney a go, see if that was what I was missing out on or whether it was just that I'd sort of run my course with audit. And I, and I stayed there for just under a year. And then I, I did decide, yeah, I want to go into commerce and I want to use my skills to really help a business grow. So rather than being on the sidelines and just telling them, you know, what adjustments they need to make for last year, um, I decided that I wanted to get stuck into the operational side of the business. And I'd had an interest in technology. My dad had actually um, had his own technology company. And so I'd always really enjoyed working on our technology clients. And so I joined Altium, which was an ASX listed tech company. And they're a really, really interesting company. They started, um, I think, in the 90s in Tasmania and they're sort of Australian born and bred. But they're now a large global company and they've done really, really well. Um, And so it was really nice to share in a small part of that success story as the group finance manager. 
So once I'd been there for sort of a year or so, I'd done a half year, I'd done a year end, I decided to do something completely different. I wanted really like a more operationally focused role. And I also wanted to do something which um, really sort of sparked a a passion for me. And so I joined Cerebral Palsy Alliance, which is a large not-for-profit, which works in providing services and accommodation and also doing research into cerebral palsy. And I joined there as the finance manager, but my mandate was really around commercialising um, a not-for-profit business to, in order for it to be successful under the NDIS, which was a scheme whereby funding was given to the person with a disability rather than funding given to the, um, the organisation up front. And that meant that we had to then, as an organisation, provide services and therapies that the participant actually wanted rather than the participant being told by the government, this is what you're going to get. So it's a fantastic change in the disability sector, but it was really, really challenging for disability organisations to be able to actually, you know, ride that that wave and to be successful under those new circumstances. So part of my role was really the digital transformation of the business, um, changing uh, all of the systems to cope with a different funding structure, as well as thinking about customer segmentation, different pricing and marketing to our new kind of customer segments rather than people who were just directed to us by the government. So that was really interesting. And again, I went through um, a really successful period with that organisation and we we actually grew the business almost twofold um, thanks to the government actually exiting from provision of the services and sort of privatising that. So Cerebral Palsy Alliance were able to acquire some more accommodation uh, services, which was the most profitable part of the business. And that then allows them to redirect funds into research and providing some of those other services. So, again, that was really exciting to be a part of. But I decided, I think, that once I came to the end of that kind of transformation project, that I wanted to go and push myself and do something that scared me. Um, And so I joined Medical Director, which is where I currently am, and I joined as the Financial Controller. And the reason that that scared me, I suppose, is because they're private equity owned. And I'd always kind of heard about, you know, investment bankers, private equity. It's all, you know, really scary. Um, they're really demanding and it's it's a, a really difficult place to work and they have very, very high expectations. But I thought, you know what, I think I'm up to it. I'm going to go and join this private equity business. And the thing that really attracted me again was that transformation piece. So they'd recently acquired medical director. They wanted to grow it you know, change it, make it more profitable, and then exit in three to five years. And I thought, great, I want to be a part of that journey. Um, And so I'm still here today. I've been promoted uh, since I joined to finance director. And that's really a reflection of the breadth of my role. So I look after the strategy team, the customer insights team, the finance team. And I also partner with um, very closely with the GMs of the various different business units and the head of sales. And so it's a really broad role. I have a lot of dealings with the private equity board, which has been a really great learning curve for me. and we have grown the business, you know, we've doubled EBITDA since I joined, which, you know, I like to take some responsibility for, although obviously it's been a team effort on the part of everybody in Medical Director. Um, but we've also, um, I've also been able to really take a part in shaping the culture. So when I joined, it was a spin out of a large listed business, which is Helios. Um, and now it's really a company in its own right with its very Um, unique culture um, and um, way of doing things and I've been a part of shaping something really positive there so that's basically brought you up to date Richard (laughs) that's that's uh, that's you in a nutshell yeah oh just listening to you there it's it's just it's a good story it's a great story Mm. isn't it 
yeah. I've progressed from from just being an audit yeah. to, to where you are now. And um, what what advice would you would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career a career like yours? I think um, you know when I set out, I was quite structured. I wanted to train in the big four and get that on my CV. Um, as I really sort of felt that that was like a springboard to other opportunities. But since then, I haven't really had a very definite plan. And I've let my heart lead my decisions as much as my head. But I think that what I've always kept in mind, and this is advice that I would give to other people, you know, at any stage in their career journey, really, to be looking to the next sort of 12, 24 months and thinking about what you want to achieve and where you want to be. And that will be a combination of personal and professional goals. And then I always do a sort of a bit of a health check every few months or so of is what I'm doing now putting me on the path to where I want to be in that 12 to 24 months? And that might be, you know, the role that you're in, or it might just be the things that you're working on within your role. Are you adding those um, items or experiences that are going to add value to you uh, in your career in the future? And I think that's a way of taking some of the overwhelm out of not knowing where your career is going um, at any particular point in time. And also, if you do feel that you're getting a bit stuck in a certain role, just seeing whether there's other things that you can be doing within that role or externally, such as other educational opportunities or other um, strings to your bow you can be adding, it can take some of that pressure off, you know, trying to search for the next the next thing all the time. So that would be my main piece of advice. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That is great advice, Emma. I think having that kind of two-year plan mm. is, uh, is good advice for, for anyone, not just people in finance. It's always good to to, to know where you're heading. And you, you touched on when you were giving us your snapshot um, uh, cerebral palsy and where, where you are now in private equity uh, and the challenges you faced. But what, what hurdles did, did you personally face and, and how did you overcome them? I think one of the, the, the hurdles that I've always felt a little bit being in Sydney is that I'm not from Australia originally. I'm not from Sydney originally. <clears throat> I came over here in 2013 and I knew nobody. Um, and building that network and building those relationships, which become increasingly important as you progress your career. So when you get up to the kind of pointy end, you know, CFO, exec roles, a lot of it comes down from personal recommendations, referrals and who you know, um, as well as what you know, of course. But, you know, I think that there's that relationship piece is really important. And I was quite conscious of that when I came over here in 2013. Um what I did to sort of overcome that and what I'm still doing is really just looking for opportunities. Never say no to an opportunity. So even if it's scary, like being asked to speak today, um, I think it's a great way of putting yourself out there and showing people who you are and what you've got to offer. The other thing I did is I've, I'm just about to finish an MBA. So I had a fantastic opportunity um, through the UN Women. They awarded me a scholarship to undertake the MBA at the University of Sydney. Um, that has been an amazing way to meet people. Um, but it's actually being really, really purposeful about those relationships. So when I'm in a team with somebody, with, with some people working on an MBA project, it's keeping that relationship afterwards. It's not just a one-time thing to do that, that assignment. Mm. It's then a relationship for life. And asking those people to do me a favor, that's usually a good way of building trust. And then, you know, you can keep that relationship going into the future. I think it's really important to not burn any bridges. So, it, like, you know, recruiters that you deal with along the way, um, keeping that relationship going, even if you don't have a ne necessarily like a need for recruitment services right now, you never know when you're going to need to lean on that person in the future. Um, and finding people that are aligned with your values that you really enjoy working with and um, 
just being really conscious of protecting and nurturing those relationships. And I think personal brand is another one. I know that it's not just me coming from the UK to Australia who struggles with this. I think in the age of social media where there's so much about you available online, it's actually, you know, quite tricky to manage that personal brand. And I would say, you know, another piece of advice to others would be to be very purposeful about that and think about what you want to project and what your customers or like potential employers in the future are going to value and how you can sort of communicate that to the market in the best way. No, that's uh, that's brilliant, Emma. So with with you arriving here in Australia seven years ago, you, you touched on networking there. Mm. What what advice would you give around networking? Because networking, yeah. working in the recruitment industry, people are like, oh, networking is too hard. Mm. But for someone like yourself, brand new to the country, um, yep. what advice would you give? What's I think you can turn anything into a networking opportunity. So I have a young family. I'm not going to be going to, you know, drinks parties every night to try and meet people. And also I find that really actually quite hard and I tend to drink too much and then let's just not go there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But I have a lot of hobbies. So, you know, I love running. I love mountain biking. I've actually met some fantastic business contacts through running. So I started running um, when I moved to Australia. In the UK, running is not a great hobby. It's cold. It's wet. It's dark. (laughs) Running in Australia is fantastic. I started by um, doing my commute from the northern beaches to the city. And so that was a great talking point with other people that I met actually on that commute, but also co-workers, you know, co-workers in different departments that I might not necessarily talk to. They saw me with my running backpack on. It was a great way to start up conversations. And I then joined a running club and I met loads of people at the running club who, you know, were professionals, worked in the city, lots of different backgrounds. And so I saw that then as an opportunity to network professionally in something that I was doing, you know, on a Saturday morning. Mm. Um, So I didn't have to go out of my way to network, but in what you're doing anyway, just always thinking about that as an opportunity. And I suppose just when you do make a new contact or a new relationship, just looking after it because it's hard to to meet new people. Mm. And so when you do, you know, look after them and nurture them. And nurture them, yeah. It's mm. true, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think we meet a lot of people along along the way and we just, through through busyness, we, we kind of forget about it. Exactly. Before long. I, I spoke to a guy the other day and he, he said um, he was in a role for a few years and he was scared to reach out to the people that he knew because he'd lost contact. And I was just like, Lord, just go for it. Call them up. And he's like, oh, I feel, people, I feel bad. But. People love to do you a favor. Honestly, yeah. it may, you know, utility is a human need. Like to mm. feel useful is really great. And, you know, you always know that you go home with a great feeling when you feel like you've done something for somebody else. So yeah. don't be scared to reach out because just think about how you would feel if somebody asked you. Mm. That's, uh, that's great. Yeah. So working, working for a, a software business now, and you've, you've obviously seen a lot in your career, what, uh, what do you think the, the, the future of finance looks like? Yeah, so I think in my last couple of roles, it's definitely been about this automation piece. And so um, at both Cerebral Palsy Alliance and here, you know, there's limited resources, private equity want you to do everything for less. Um, And so that can come through digital transformation. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean cutting heads, which I think is what people get scared about when they hear about, you know, replacing these BAU tasks with automation. Um, What it actually means is being able to scale without adding more people, I suppose. And so that's how I've always seen it. Um, And so I think, yeah, increasingly the future of finance is going to be increasing reliance on the, the finance systems, but also the integration of those finance systems into the broader business systems. So the the integration with things like, you know, your CRMs, like your Salesforce and um, other products where 
we, you can really manage the whole organization through this ecosystem of, of systems. I also think that finance is increasingly being seen as a business enabler and it is a business enabler. And I think that education piece that's been going on in the market for a few years is starting to gain some traction. So instead of being, you know, a back off function that's sort of backward looking and um, all about, um, you know, fairly inward metrics, it's becoming increasingly outward looking and forward focused. So you see now teams of business partners, and I tend to structure my finance teams to have business partners that then work with the business, but are also looking at externally at what's happening in the business, uh, sorry, outside of the business that is going to impact us. Um, so that is really important for the future of finance. I think, you know, I finance and strategy sits really closely and in the past, they've probably been quite separate. And I think bringing that together as well as with, you know, customer insight functions is really important to ensure that finance are adding the most value to businesses, you know, in the yeah. future. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, it's an exciting time for finance as well, yes. isn't it? It's, I mean, uh, it's a lot more interesting to, mm. you know, look at what our customers are up to than to sort of look at a balance sheet. But yeah. so, well, I think it is anyway. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I think I think that that image of the the stereotypical accountant finance yeah. person is 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 far gone. Yeah, I think there's still, you know, there's still a place for a, a diverse range of skill set mm. in finance. Um, but I think that if we can use automation really intelligently and then you can free up people to really fulfill their potential, then that's that's where it gets really exciting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. And you, you touched on uh, on your MBA. What, mm. what a great tool, uh, not, not only uh, for a qualification, but, but for the network. Um, apart from the MBA, how do you continue to, to stay on top of, of learning? Yeah, so I think uh, social media is a great one for that. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of nonsense on there, so you have to be quite selective, but um, there are some great resources as well. And I actually, you know, in the COVID era with us working from home, I actually really miss my commute because that was where I used to catch up on articles on LinkedIn mm. and podcasts um, and things like that. And so I have to be quite intentional now about making time in my day to make sure that I'm still doing, you know, my extracurricular readings. Yeah. Um because I think it's really helpful to keep that sort of broad mindset and we can get really, really focused on what we're doing and we get sort of sucked down rabbit holes and we don't keep a bigger picture of you. And so I do really try and um, maintain some time in the day to do that. Um, lying in bed at night is a great time to listen to podcasts. I find that's that's a, that's a really relaxing thing to do just before I yeah. fall to sleep. And so that's, um, that's really useful. Yeah. But just generally in your day-to-day -day life, I think, you know, I'm naturally a very curious person. Mm. And I think just staying curious and being open to new ideas, like I... I don't ever really think that I know very much. Um, and I, it, that's not like a lack of confidence. That's just that I think that there's so much more out there to know. Hmm. Um, and there's so many people with great expertise in areas that, you know, I've never, ever come across. And so that's really interesting. And just keeping your ears open and your mind open to hmm. new new things means that you can really learn something, you know, pretty much every time that you interact with somebody. Yeah. It's, it's it's true, isn't it? I think we, we, we talked earlier, Emma, about that. As you go through your career, you can arguably get more curious. Yes, that's you, right. You learn every day, don't you? Exactly. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and knowing knowing you, Emma, you're, you're a passionate, enthusiastic, happy mm. person. What, what What's the favourite thing about your career? Yeah, so I think my favourite thing for sure has been that in recent times I've been able to combine um, – 
a successful career with doing something that I'm passionate about and that I think makes a difference to society. So both at Cerebral Palsy Alliance, which was, you know, assisting people with complex disabilities and at Medical Director where we're in the GP software space and we're really um, at the forefront of the technology advancement in that space. So interconnectedness in healthcare, but also some really interesting projects around AI and data-driven insights that are improving healthcare and really creating more proactive and preventative medicine rather than just sort of reactive medicine. Um, so I've been able to combine, you know, my career aspirations to, con- you know, to be promoted and to get to a certain, you know, level and, you know, I'm not stopping yet, but keep going with, you know, these roles where I- I'm making a difference to society. And I think that's, that's what I really love. Mm. That's, that's great, isn't it? It's, it's, it's good to chat with people who are, who are in roles where they are passionate about it, where you are That's kind of right. giving something back. You know, and I'm not I'm not a martyr by any means. I think you have to be honest with yourself about your aspirations. And mm. I am driven by, you know, status and financial reward. And so I'm not going to take, you know, a pay cut to work necessarily in a business <clears> where it's just sort of driven by passion. But because I've been able to combine the two, I really feel like that's been a huge yeah. success for me. Yeah. Definitely a, a winning combination. Yeah, you, you touched on uh, on your running before. You, yeah. you're a big runner. Um, when you uh, again, you, you come across as calm and collected and, and chill. <laughs> but when when you do get overwhelmed, what what do you do? Do you, do you just go for a run? Or? Yeah, I do. I think like that's been a real great outlet for me. I find it quite meditative, and I think people who don't aren't into running can't really get that because it probably Mm. just feels horrible but once you push past that point of feeling horrible and get into a rhythm it's a great place to clear your mind and to digest you know what's happened in the day or plan for the day if you're going in the morning and it's that sort of third space between home and work and I think um, during COVID actually again going back to that it's been really difficult to keep that up because it's too tempting to just sit at your desk for 12 hours and think, I'll just get this done, I'll just get that done, mm. and then I'll just sort of roll upstairs and have dinner and then roll into bed. Um, so, I, yeah, and I mm. think that that has caused me to definitely feel more overwhelmed during the last, you know, nine months or so since we've all been working from home. And I've had to be, again, really intentional about actually putting in my diary times yeah. to go for a run and, and really valuing that and recognising that that's what I need to do to stay, you know, mentally healthy um, and to, to get that bit of thinking space mm. as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, so again, like, you know, and this is where I'm speaking to my teams about the challenges of working from home. And I've been encouraging them to really find that third space, whatever it is for them, yeah. so that they can have that delineation between work and home life and, yeah. and put something that you enjoy in your calendar every day. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think since we, we, we've worked from home, um, we, we've exercised probably less. I know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it's, it? Uh, yeah. I actually read an article um, and it was about these people who commute to their own mm. house so they actually physically get dressed <laughs> get in the car and go for a drive and then you just kind of do a few laps around the block or something. yeah maybe i should do that um which i just think is a bit bonkers isn't it but i mean i guess it's, it's the headspace thing isn't it yeah i Where think you... it is and you know we're creatures of habit and routine yeah, we are and yeah. i think you know you need that i mean just like a casing point this week the first run i've done is this morning and it's the one day that i'm in the office yeah. so where i've had the least amount of time yeah, it's, it's interesting <laughs> yeah. isn't it it's uh It'll be uh, interesting to see, see when we look back in a, in a year or so. Yeah, uh, how the how the dynamics uh, change on it. So tell tell me something not many people 
know about you? Ooh, good question. Well, there's a few things. I'll think about one that's relevant to finance, though, now. So, yep. so yeah, so this is quite funny. My husband always finds this quite funny. So when I was at school, I was absolutely terrible at and hated maths. So people can't believe that when they hear you're in accounting because they think, oh, you're just, you know, stuck to your calculator all the time. But um, yeah, I hated it. And I also hated IT. So when I was at school, so this is 20 odd years ago now, I it was like the first time that they'd started doing IT lessons. And I can remember sitting there in front of a computer thinking this is never going to catch on, you know, looking at Excel, thinking no one's ever going to use Excel. Like, this isn't gonna, This stuff isn't going to catch on. <laughs> and here I am now. So I'm an accountant and I also work in technology. So that just didn't marry up, you know, to what I to, to my sort of thoughts and feelings when I was at school. But I guess, you know, what that sort of tells me is that um, you, you never really know where life's going to take you um, and you never know what you're capable of. I think part of my hatred for, you know, maths and IT was probably like a confidence thing. I didn't think I was particularly good at either of those subjects. Um, but actually, you know, you just don't know where where you're going to be and what you what you can teach yourself and what you can learn along the way. And so I'd just say to everyone, you know, don't underestimate what you're capable of. It's, uh, it, it's you know, it's, it's quite fascinating, Emma, with, with that answer, because I think when we're young as well, we, we, we don't really know no um where we want to go the direction i think there's a lot of lost people that's right um in, in, when you're in those college uni days it's I very think, stressful I think, I think majority of my friends about 80 percent who uh went to uni didn't do anything in relation to mm. to the course they did at a university mm. it's quite it's quite fascinating and um, so knowing what you know now emma what advice would you give to your younger self yeah so i think when i was starting out i was just touching back to what you were just saying, I was quite kind of stressed about how it was all going to work out. I especially couldn't see how it was all going to work out to have a career and have a family. That was something that was that kept me up at night when I was in my early 20s, even though it was something that was quite far off. I was definitely looking forward thinking, I just don't see how this is going to work. But what has happened over the last sort of 10 years, you know, this, that wasn't a problem unique to me. Like a lot mm. of people couldn't see how that was going to work. And so yeah. hence the world has changed a lot in the last 10 years about how we view, you know, working parents mm. and the provisions that are put in place for mums and dads, you know, to have successful careers and have families. So I think, I guess my my advice would be sort of trust that the way you're feeling isn't, you're, you're not alone um, would be the first one. Trust that, you know, positive change can happen from how you're feeling and you can make that change and be part of that change because I was actually the catalyst for medical director adopting, you know, a really gen, generous um, parental leave policy, which is, you know, 18 weeks for mums and dads, whereas previously they had nothing. And so believe that you can be part of the change that needs to happen, I think is, is advice that I would give. Um, and also, yeah, just have that loose 12 to 24 month plan. And past that, you really can't control it. So just focus on what you can control. Yeah, mm. that's that, that's brilliant advice, Emma. And I think uh, we, we can learn a lot from that. Yeah. But that's, yeah. that's great. Well, thanks for being part of the, the podcast, Emma. I think you've been a great guest. Thank you. And very yeah. insightful. It's, it's always good to, to hear your story and uh, look uh, look from, from where you've been to, to, to where you are now. It's uh, I think you've achieved a lot. Thank you. That's, that's yes. great. Excellent. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on the, the podcast again soon. Yeah, great. Thanks, Thanks Richard. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Bye.